As I mentioned before, it's a real privilege and honor to be back here at my home parish as a priest. Um, I'm 11 years a priest, and it is uh, such a wonderful joy in celebrating the sacraments. As I've been watching the news this last week and watching the burning of Notre Dame, um, everybody's, our eyes have been kind of transfixed to this. And people are call, calling it a tragedy, and yet no lives have been injured, no one's been hurt. And yet there's still something very tragic about this cathedral in flames. There's a, a powerful article that was in the Smithsonian. I want to read to you just a paragraph from that. But it said that the hunchback of Notre Dame is now again on the top seller list in the wake of this week's disaster. And it's fitting not only because the novel is centered around the cathedral, because, but also because it was written at an earlier time when Notre Dame was in crisis. Construction on Notre Dame began in 1163 and was only completed in 1345. But early in the 19th century, when Hugo wrote this novel, this grandiose structure was in a pretty bad state. Ill-advised renovations during the reign of Louis XIV saw stained glass windows removed in favor of clear windows. A pillar was actually demolished to make way for carriages and an ornate partition was removed. Reports of the Washington Post said that they came, then came the French Revolution, and viewed as a symbol of the church and the monarchy, Notre Dame was ransacked by the revolutionaries who beheaded the statues, stripped lead from the roof to make bullets, and melted down Brown's bells to make cannons. The cathedral was then returned to the Catholic Church in 1802, but no one was fully invested attending it. The building's Gothic architecture had given way to the Renaissance. By then, the Parisians considered medieval buildings to be vulgar, deformed monstrities. Victor Hugo disagreed, however. And so he wrote this book, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, when the cathedral was still in its glory days, looking back to that. And he took the opportunity to lament how this beautiful church had declined. Hugo said, it's difficult not to sigh, not to wax indignant before the numberless degradations and mutilations which time and men have both caused to the venerable monument to suffer. See, cathedrals are a tangible presence of God's glory, a sacred place where heaven and earth meets. And in some ways, this could be an image of our church today. Our church is suffering. Our church has been scandalized. The priesthood has been scandalized. Sometimes we often look at it and see it as unrecognizable. But just as Notre Dame will continue to be built up, so will the church continue to be built up. At today's liturgy, the very end, the altar will be stripped, the Blessed Sacrament will be removed, the statues will be covered, and we will experience something of that barren cathedral. But it doesn't end there, because that's only the beginning, the entrance into the Passion. Victor Hugo would go on to write about Quasimodo, the hunchback, and I just want to quote one of his lines. He found solace 
in this cathedral that everybody else scorned. The cathedral was enough for him. It was peopled with marbled figures of kings, saints, and bishops who at least did not laugh in his face and looked at him only with tranquility and benevolence. The other statues, those of the monsters and demons, had no hatred for him. He resembled them too closely for that. It was rather the rest of mankind that jeered him. The saints were his friends and blessed him. The monsters were his friends and kept watch over him. He would sometimes spend whole hours crouched before one of the statues in solitary conversation with it. And if anyone came upon him, he would run away like a lover surprised during a serenade. In just a few moments, we celebrate the washing of the feet. In the times of Jesus, feet were considered to be, and still are today, the lowest physical part of the body. The part of the body that was most filthy, most dirty, most deformed, least likely to be looked at. And it was yet to that very place that Jesus humbles himself. He goes right down to our feet. And the feet, our feet are just symbolic for the lowest parts of our soul, the lowest parts of our being, the parts of us that are filthy, the parts of us that still remain in sin. And Jesus wants to wash us free from that sin, and so he's given us this eternal gift of the priesthood and the Eucharist. No matter how bad things get, the priesthood and the Eucharist that were instituted 2,000 years ago will continue. And I know for me, some of my most privileged times as a priest have been hearing people's confessions and absolving them of their sins. And I'm sure many of us during the season of Lent have gone to such a great sacrament and heard those words, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's out of that cleansing that we can come here to celebrate the Eucharist together. See, Christ isn't afraid to go to our sin. Christ, like, like, uh, like Quasimodo, he doesn't cast us off. He loves us as we are, but he also desires to make us pure and clean. And so in this Eucharist, we will reenact the foot washing where Jesus humbled himself and went to the lowest part of us, the filthiest part of us, and washed us and made us clean to prepare us to receive the Eucharist, which will also happen today. And we will receive this eternal banquet that Christ has prepared for us. So I just invite you in these, in these moments during the foot washing and as we prepare to receive the Eucharist, just to invite God into any place in your life where you still feel sinful, or ugly, or separated. Because that's the place that he wants to go to. He desires nothing more than to humble himself and wash our feet.